Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton. Today is November the 14th, 2022, and we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Today we are going to be in Genesis 35 through Genesis 37. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, and um, we're going to continue to pick up uh, where Blake left off last week after um, chapter 34. Um, we, at the point that we get into the, to chapter 35, I want to want to at least back up and, and talk just for a moment about um, the things that we saw in unfolding in chapter 34 and and the part of um, Israel's history uh, we saw probably one of the one of the really tougher and and more stark and more difficult passages in really all of the Old Testament um, we saw the 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 scene played out in the scriptures and I, I think I'll say this parenthetically even before we start that I think um, gritty, truthful stories like the one that we saw that we see related in chapter 34 is is a great evidence of even the authenticity and the veracity of God's word that um, in in God's word, the the authors under the inspiration of um, of the Holy Spirit don't avoid, difficult subjects. They don't sanitize the scriptures. They don't try to make people out to be um, more more holy or more perfect than they are, but they they really talk about the the very raw, real nature of life and our sinfulness and um, and ultimately our our need for uh, redemption and our need for Christ. And that's certainly seen in chapter 34. We see that uh, that there is a, a, a circumstance that happens with Dinah, uh, the daughter of um, Jacob, and and that that Dinah is um, seized and and raped uh, by um, by a Shechem, and that in the story as it unfolds, uh, that Jacob first. Um, does nothing and keeps it to himself. And then, when his sons come in from the field, he tells his sons what have happened, what you know, what has happened, and what's transpired. Um, and and so then, the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, um, they take it upon themselves. They go to um, go behind their father, and 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 their father has you know sort of tried to make peace um, with uh, Shechem and his father Hamor and. Um, and, and sort of makes this uh, this this covenant with him, this contract with him, and, and tells them if um, if they will, he can't bear the idea of his daughter marrying someone who is uh, who is 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 outside of uh, the family of God, and so he he basically tells them and, and doesn't complete that fully, but says if you'll be circumcised. Um, then you can, you know, then I'll overlook this and you can marry my daughter. And, and, and the story is that, that Simeon and Levi take the vulnerability of uh, the men of Shechem and, and basically obliterate them and kill them. 
and that that Jacob really Jacob's concern in all this is he he presents the idea he says you've brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of this land the Canaanites and and the Perizzites my numbers are few and if they gather themselves against me and attack me I shall be destroyed both both me um, and my household uh, but they said should should we allow this injustice to come against our our sister. And so immediately on the heels of this, we, we enter into to, to verse 35 and God speaks directly to Jacob. And so Jacob here is, is really trying to work this situation out for his own safety. And, and Jacob made the decisions that he'd made about how to, how to respond to this injustice, not based upon, um, not based, not based upon God, not based upon his belief that God would defend him and that God, um, that God was ultimately his uh, his fortress and his shield, and so God then speaks to Jacob, and this is a, a, a dramatically important place in in the story of Genesis and of of God creating a people for Himself in Israel. God said to Jacob, "Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau." So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise up and go to Bethel so that I may make an altar there to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. And so this is the very same Jacob who was worried about what the people were going to do around him and was fearful of the consequences of the things that he had done and others had done immediately he's called back to, re- to to remember God's promise to him and ultimately God's God's care for him and God's attentiveness and God's protection for him uh, as God calls him back to Bethel. And, and so um, a couple of things that, that we see here is one that um, Jacob had not um, had really not led his family very well at this point. Um, first thing that he has to do when God invades his his presence and and when he when he calls him and tells him to pick up and go to Bethel the very first thing that Jacob has to do is to go to his his children and his people and say um, you you need to put away all your false gods and you need to purify yourselves and you need to change your clothes literally that they need to go through a through a, a, a an act of um, divorcing themselves of all the foreign gods that they had had taken on, and all the things that they were worshiping that are that that are not God. And you know, we have to remember. I think that in in thinking about what God's calling uh, Jacob back to, calling him back to Bethel, in that place where God met with him first after he was fleeing Esau, and and in the midst of his his journey away from his family and and as he was going to Laban, that none of Jacob's family was there. His his wives, his kids, nobody had experienced the presence of God the way that he had. Um, and and he had not really fully passed that along to his people. That his sons and daughters and wives and 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 all of the the, the people that were with him were all um 
caught up in, in worshiping false gods and, and they were caught up in the things of the world and they were they were trying to um, to find satisfaction and trying to protect themselves in all manner of ways by trying to cover their bases with a lot of foreign gods and that ultimately is a is a failing that is um, that has to be laid at the feet of Jacob and and you can't you can't hear this without being drawn to just thinking about the importance of um, of men, of dads, of dads who live for the Lord, who lead their families well, who disciple their families well, who ultimately lead their families in in spiritual um, in spiritual things, and and the the responsibility that God has given us as men and as husbands, uh, as fathers, to to lead our families toward uh, Christ. And this was something that Jacob struggled in. It was something he didn't do very well. And we saw it even in his behavior in the midst of a crisis. And we saw it in the way that his, his sons responded in the midst of a crisis that, um, that Jacob didn't trust the provision of God, um, that he hadn't passed along to his sons, the, um, the fact that God was their portion, that God would avenge them, that God would protect them. His sons didn't believe that, and they took it into their own hands. Why? Because, because they believed that they had nothing to fall back on but themselves. And so um, the result that we see is the family says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree um, that was near Shechem. And and so, and and then in verse five, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue Jacob. And Jacob came to lose, that is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called it El Bethel because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it is called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padnaram and blessed him and said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Right here, God is in, in the fullness telling him that that he that kings are going to come, that ultimately the Messiah is going to come um, through Jacob, this man who was f- failing and fallible and broken and who was not... Um, the ideal candidate because of God's choosing, God was going to use him um, to bring the king and, and ultimately to, to bring salvation to the world through, uh, through the line of Jacob. And, and Jacob, who had missed that and had misunderstood it and had done all kinds of things to, um, to, to displease God and to run away from God in his brokenness and his fallibility that God had chosen him and he was he was going to use him. And part of what we see in this story is the faithfulness of God, even in, in the face of the unfaithfulness of people. And what an incredible um, reminder and security that is to us that are in Christ, 
that ultimately in Christ we have been uh, we've been saved, we've been rescued, we've been given um, the a place in the family of God, we've been adopted into uh, God's family, and that ultimately um, is something that that rests on God's faithfulness, not upon ours. No matter how we struggle, no matter how we wander, no matter how we struggle with idols and we enthrone things in our lives and and we put importance on them and worship them, no matter how much we fail. God never fails. And so even in our striving, even, even in our, 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 our pressing ahead and our stretching to, 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 to pursue toward holiness, we are going to fall. We are going to fail. We are going to be less than we should be and that we're already forgiven of those sins. And ultimately, that, that, the, that the sealing of our redemption doesn't rest on our ability to be able to live up to God's standard. It, it rests on God's ability to fulfill His own standard because He's done that in Jesus. And so then Jacob is, out of the faithfulness of God, Jacob is, is ultimately motivated to worship. And so it, it says um, that, that Jacob, now called Israel, it says, the, the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. I will give the land to your offspring after you, verse 12. Then God went up from, went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And so Jacob, after having had this encounter with God, it says in verse 14 that Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. And so Jacob ultimately sets up a stone and and he offers an offering to God. And, and I think there's great symbolism here in the fact that he offered a drink offering, you know, because we know when when uh, when a, an offering of an animal or um, a sacrifice like that is made, a burnt offering or uh, a blood offering, that that there is tangibly something still there. There are parts of the animal, there are ashes that remain, there are, there are things that can be collected together that that show the remnants of what that sacrifice is. But in a drink offering, just like Paul uses. Um, Several times in the Old Testament, he talks about this idea of being poured out like a drink offering, <clears throat> and and there's there's a completeness to this picture that that with a drink offering, when the offering is made, there's nothing to collect up. You know, it's not like you're gonna it's not like you're gonna strain the ground and and put that drink offering you know back in the bottle. When when a drink offering is poured out, it is completely exhausted. It is completely given over. It is completely offered, and and this is really a sign of Jacob completely offering himself to God. This is this is it all coming full circle from the place that he encountered God first in Bethel all the way back to the same place through all the mistakes, through the multiple wives, through the, the children, through the, the having children with concubines, through all the things that God still continued to use but weren't a part of God's true design. That, that all the mistakes and all the things that he had done wrong and all the all the fallibility in his life, that still none of that was greater than the fact that God had called him. That God had called him and that God had set him apart and that God had a purpose and a plan for his life and that ultimately God was going to use him because he was chosen um, by God Almighty. And, and Jacob finally in this moment gets this and, and he in response worships and pours out a, a drink offering as a symbolism of giving every bit of himself to God. 
And ultimately, that's the story of the gospel, right? That 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 w- w- the, when we come to Jesus with nothing but ourselves, when we come and admit that we're sinful and we're broken and that we're completely without resource to help ourselves, that we can't conquer our own sin, that we can't atone for our own sin, and that we and we throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of God and and claim the work. Of, of Jesus, that's that's the moment when salvation happens. That's when that's when we find rescue, when we've come to the end of ourselves and 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 when we when we give up is the place um, of salvation. And that that's so powerfully depicted even um, in the actions of Jacob on on the other side of the cross. And so then it says in verse 16, then they, they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. What, Rachel went into labor and she had a hard labor. And when her labor, labor was its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So which means um, son at the right hand. You know, we hear about Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. This is like a position of honor and a position of strength to be at the right hand of the ruler. And, and he basically says that this is my son that will that will be at my right hand. So Rachel, in verse 19, so Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed, journeyed on and pitched his tent. Uh, beyond the tower of Eder, and one of the things to to remember here is that that the word that was that was spoken and 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 the kind of the prophecy and the promise that was made even as Jacob and his family were um, were fleeing Laban and and the the household idols were stolen um, that that ultimately um, Rachel has lost her life here that Rachel that that ultimately that came. To be and and Rachel ultimately, um, in in and it's it's kind of a sad moment when we see here that that Rachel even as she was was having a son and realized that she was dying, um, that that she she calls the name of her son Benoni, which which ultimately means um, son of my sorrow. But his father renames him and says, "Oh no, no! Even even in tragic circumstances, God God can bring good, and this is ultimately um, the son of of my right hand that God has blessed me um, with this child." And so, then again, we see you know further dysfunction in this family. In verse twenty two, while Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, the, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. And so uh, just because um, Jacob has, has turned his heart toward God fully, just because he's inclined himself toward God, the consequences of the things that have gone on in his family and, and the terrible dysfunction among his wives and, and their maids and, and all of the ways that their, their family has, has interacted, the, the, the idol worship that's gone on in their family, none of that's erased. Um, at this point, and, and ultimately, we're still seeing the devastating generational effects of, of sin and separation from God, and 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 when we're seeing it play out even in the family um, that was that was chosen to bring forth the Messiah. So now the end of the chapter says, now the sons of Jacob were twelve sons of Leah, Reuben. 
Uh, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's, Rachel's servant, Dan and Nephtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padnaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at, at Mamre, um, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last um, and and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And then his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Then uh, chapter 36, we're not really going to go into a lot of that, but we, we then pick up the story and the genealogy of Esau. And, and so as Esau and Jacob uh, buried their father Isaac after his 180-year life, then, um, then we, we learn about the family of um, of Esau. Esau, ultimately, the, the, the people, the children of Esau, became the, the, the people known as the Edomites. Um, God made a great nation of Esau. He made a people of, of Esau that God's promise was extended and, and was even kept in a way, um, even, even with all of the craziness with Jacob, Jacob taking the birthright from Esau, but but we see that the Edomites are are people that that ultimately, um, like we see them um, standing against the people of God in in places in His Word. We we don't we see that that there's a that there's a difficulty and and that there's enmity between the people of Israel and the people of of Edom and um, and and a really complicated history there. Now the story in verse in chapter 37 really begins to focus on on Jacob and his father um, and and then on the son of Jacob um, Joseph and so verse chapter 37 begins Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan these are the generations of Jacob Joseph being 17 years old was pastoring the flock with his brothers when he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his bro brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So we see that there's something a little more going on here, a little more than sibling rivalry. Um, we we see that um, that Joseph, being a, a young man, 17 years old, was charged with pastoring the flock with his brothers, um, and that he was there with um, with his half brothers, and and that um, that that ultimately he. Um, you know, he he was he told on them to their father that they were not that they were not doing right. That he was um, he was you know kind of not he was kind of not in sync with his brothers and um, and and you know we can't be sure the rightness or the wrongness of of of, of any of this situation except to say um, that that the things that he did and the way that he conducted himself and the way that Jacob treated him caused his brothers to hate him. This idea about a coat of many colors, one of the things that I've read that commentators say about this is that part of part of the nature of this tunic that he was given is that that in, in Hebrew, the connotation is that it was a full length tunic. So it came all the way to his wrist and came all the way to his ankles, which was the kind of robe that royalty would wear. Um, and so on one hand, we're being told 
that his father set him up um, to to pasture the flock with his brothers. So he was supposed to be working with his brothers and supposed to be taking care of the family's flock. But on the other hand, he was dressed in a robe that wasn't fit for him to do manual labor. Um, and, and so it kind of seems like that Joseph was a young man that his father um, kind of treated with a light hand and didn't give him much responsibility and, and that he used that not to help his brothers, not to try to bless his brothers, but he used it um, and, and ultimately um, was, uh, you know, tattling on his brothers. And so there's, it's interesting the way that we see that this relationship is beginning. It's, it's exacerbated by these dreams that Joseph has. It says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he was told, when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to, to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He had another dream, and this wasn't just about his brothers, but it was also about his mom and dad. It says, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And so here we, we just see the seething anger that that's built up against Joseph. And, and, and it's just seems like everything he does just serves to, to make his brothers more angry. His father is, is kind of somewhat considerate of this. And, and, and maybe this is why his father gave him this royal robe because he, he had an inkling. He had a, he had a feeling or maybe something revealed to God, you know, by God to him that his son was, was going to somehow rule. Whatever was going on, there was mad dysfunction within the midst of this family. There's all kinds of things that we've seen documented over the, the preceding chapters that help us to understand that, that there wasn't always a healthy and godly environment in the sense in, in, you know, within this family. There was infighting among the wives and, and the, and the maids. There was, there was strife, you know, between, um, between the between the wives and 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 so you know we see that that Rachel and Leah never really got along and and they they contested with each other for the affections of Jacob and all of that it seems has washed over onto the kids as well but even uh we know a scriptural principle that even you know what 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 the enemy intends for evil um, God uses for good. And so even in the midst of all this family strife and, and something that we're going to see that's just a really unspeakable tragedy here, we see good coming out of it. it. Says So it says, now the brothers went to pasture with their father's flock near Shechem. We're back at Shechem again, <laughs> right? Like this is a place that we've seen um, that that is a place of difficulty. It's, it, it's a place of murder. It's a place where... Um, where victimizing of women was taking place. It's, it, it seems like from everything that we know about Shechem in these preceding chapters is that it was a bad place and it, and it wasn't a good place to be. It wasn't an edifying place. It certainly wasn't a place that was going to build up the sons of Jacob. It says, now the brothers went to pasture near their flock, um, 
pastor their flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are your brothers not pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So brother who's going to tell on the sons and, and brother who's already demonstrated the fact that he is that he's going to tell whatever he sees and 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 he like dad is sending him out to check on the brothers in a place where the brothers probably shouldn't be in the first place like they're following the flock into a place where there's been trouble and strife and 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 a place where where Jacob at one point was afraid that he couldn't even show his face because he and his family would be killed if they went there but there's no reference in any of this that, the, that that they're in Shechem because they're trusting the provision of God. There's no there's no inkling in this that everybody's turned their face toward God and they're all living obediently toward God. And so therefore they're living without fear because they believe that God is their defender. There's, there's no inkling of that at all. It's just the fact that um, they're just kind of doing what they do. And so... So he sent him from, from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him, found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. And he said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, um, they have gone away, for I've heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before they came to him, they conspired against him to kill him. We've, I think sometimes we've heard this story so much, and, and maybe we heard it as children in Sunday school and those kinds of things, that, it, that, it, that the horror of this story doesn't really grip us. So here are his, his 11 brothers that are working in the field, and they see him coming, and their hatred is so great toward him that they, they say, okay, we're going to kill him. And it, then they said to one another, here comes... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 2. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into the pits here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, for there was no water in it. So I just want to stop and say parenthetically here that his brothers had hatred toward him, a hatred that drove them um, almost to kill him. And I think we we do hear that and we are horrified by that, but I think it it also is a is a word and a reminder to those of us that are that are in Christ that in the New Testament. Um, Jesus talked to us very directly about how to handle our, our offense and how to ha- handle our anger with others. And he also talked to us pretty directly about the consequences of our anger. As a matter of fact, he says that if we, if we truly, if we hate someone in our heart, that we have like we have already murdered them. If we've said that that, that person has no value and we hate them and we wish that they were not, that, that we might as well um, physically have killed them. That sounds like a crazy extreme kind of thing, but, but, the, but the ethic that we're given under the authority of the gospel is that when we live with each other, we're going to offend each other. We're, like, we're not always going to get it right, and, and we're going to be at enmity with each other. But in Christ, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to reconcile 
our enmity. We're supposed to lay our offering down and go to our brother and be reconciled. We're supposed to live in such a way that we that we point out the sin that that we see, the things that are not like Jesus in one another with the goal of being reconciled together, not the goal of throwing somebody out of the fellowship or throwing them out of the church. Even church discipline is really about pointing out um, the, the evidence of Christ. And, and when we don't see it, challenging someone who supposedly is in Christ to, to see the error of their ways and ultimately to fall upon um, the forgiving grace of God. And, and y'all, we live in a world that does not live that and does not believe it. We live in a world that's full of cancel culture, that's about um, seeking to, to, to find the mistakes, to find the things to hate about people, to find the bad and to find the evil in people. And when we find it to give up on them and, and to, to, to portray a hateful spirit. And that our that our world says that that ultimately um, that 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 we as the even as the Christian army should be the kind of army where we shoot our wounded, and and where we and where we don't press in with each other, where we don't forgive, where we aren't looking out for the best uh, for one another, where we aren't spurring one another on toward Christ likeness, and that's not really all that different than what we see in the in the brothers of Joseph. That his brothers had, and and this this. This plot to murder him, and ultimately the plot that ends up have, ends up with him being sold into slavery, it didn't just happen in a moment. It didn't even just happen when they saw Joseph coming over the hill and they saw his coat and they conspired together to kill him. The hatred was already deep in their hearts and it had been seething for a long time. And I think it's a great reminder to us and a great warning to us not to harbor up hate and bitterness in our lives, but but to to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be reconciled with them, to to bear one another up and and to deal with one another forthrightly in the grace that can that, that we've found in the gospel. Why? Because when we become people that harbor hatred, when we become people who are who are bent on on canceling others, we become people that don't reflect the glory of Jesus very well at all. We become miserable and and bitter and vindictive and hateful, and 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 the body of Christ inside and the world outside can't really see an accurate picture of Jesus from a heart that's bound up with hate. But that's the kind of that's the kind of hatred that Jacob's brothers acted out of. And so, of course, you know the rest of the story. They sat down and they ate, and, and then they saw a group of, of um, Arabs, a group of Ishmaelites. So these are Islamic um, travelers. And, and it says they, they're coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And so they, at least Judah has this moment of a little bit of clarity to say he's our brother. We, you know, we can't kill him. Okay, let's just get, let's get a little bit of money from him by selling him to these traders. And so it says, and they, they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and, re and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, we have this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not, as if they didn't know. 
And he identified it and said, this, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth cloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, now I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. In other words, I'm going to die mourning my son. This was, a, this was a morning that would never get better, that would never go away. This is how deeply um, Jacob was wounded. It says, thus the father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potter for an officer of Pharaoh, for the captain of the guard. And we know, and we know that the rest of the story, as we see it unfold, that God is going to use Joseph in powerful ways. He's going to use Joseph to protect his family even. He's going to use him to bless his brothers who ultimately um, tried to sell him into slavery and, and were, were almost at the point of killing him. Um, and, and we see a very different character in Joseph. Um, it's kind of uncertain as to what character he was forming when he was a 17-year-old boy and when this began. But what we see undoubtedly is, as the rest of his life unfolds is, is, is we see a man who ultimately um, pursued God and stood firm for his, his faith and stood, uh, and, and stood resolute before his God. I don't know if he was that kind of boy and that kind of man before he was sold into slavery, but he became that sort of boy and, and he became that sort of man um, when, when he was taken from his family and, and when, he was enslaved, and God ultimately used him and blessed him and, and, and did amazing things through him, as we'll see over the next several weeks. But, but the truth is that, that he got there as a result of, of what his brothers intended for evil. He got there through an unspeakable tragedy and an awful circumstance. Um, and and, his, and, and, and that, that also can be really reflective of a lot of our stories. We we don't always choose. We don't, it's not always pleasant, the things that we walk through in life. Um, but we trust the hand of, of the one who holds us. And, and something we can see and that we've seen over these three chapters is, um, is the unyielding faithfulness of God, even in the face of the unfaithfulness of men. And so God is going to God is going to, to keep his word. God is, God is going to be consistent. God is not going to shrink back, even, even when we do. And so praise the Lord today for his assurance to us of his faithfulness, how much this story helps us to be able to grasp that and to, to see that. Thanks again for joining us on the Defender Bible Study. I want to ask you this week if if you would to pray for the nation of Peru, to pray for the church in Peru as um, as they seek to rise up and care for orphans. Pray um, that God would help us and others to be able to serve the church in Peru to care for vulnerable children, those who are living in institutions, kids that are uh, in need of adoptive families and foster families. Pray that God will raise up adoptive and foster families within the nation of Peru to care for children there. Um, pray for caregivers that are that are taking care of children uh, in institutions that they'll do that in ways that um, that bring security and safety and 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 ultimately um, are dedicated to the good of those children and ultimately uh, let's pray that those kids will um, will come under um, the influence of the gospel and the church will be diligent in ministering to orphans in the nation of Peru. 
We just want to say thank you again. We appreciate you joining us and continuing in this study of the book of Genesis. And, and we'd invite you to come back again next week as we pick up in verse in chapter 38 of Genesis and continue our study as, as we journey um, toward the end of the book. And so this is Rick Morton. And uh, and I, I pray uh, that if, if there's some way that Lifeline can serve you or help you, that you'd reach out to us either at info at lifelinechild.org. Maybe let us know if this Bible study is blessing you and 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 it's it's been profitable for you maybe you could share a story with us of, of how um, god's using the defender bible study in order to minister to your heart also um, if, if lifeline can minister to you in some way to you your family your church we'd love to uh, you can find more information about lifeline children's services at lifelinechild.org uh, but until next week we hope you have a great week and and we'll see you back here lord willing um, to pick up in, in chapter 38 of the book of genesis Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.